All right, before we uh, start in God's Word, I want to thank all those who have been helping uh, to record these services, especially this week, because we're recording this on Thursday night and the music and everything, uh, just in case we uh, can't have the outside service on Sunday, and um, we're going to be practicing on Saturday and, then, and coming in on Sunday to do everything. And so there's a lot of hoops that we're jumping through, and I really appreciate um, all those who have uh, come alongside to help make this uh, happen. Um, just to let you know, in going forward, uh, we are working very closely on being able to start having regular services outside. We've, um, we've ordered a radio transmitter. Surprisingly, they're not very expensive to the point where we would be able to do the services, everybody out in the parking lot, in their cars, if they, would, if they don't want to get out and be able to tune to a certain radio station and they would be able to, to hear the, the service and the singing. And so we are very quickly moving towards that. Uh, we will get you some information on that if, if next week, if that's uh, what we're able to be doing. Um, and hopefully uh, we'll get there sooner uh, than later. Um, all righty. Um, John Irving, before I have a word of prayer, John Irving uh, had a, 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 an interesting quote, and I want to use a part of it. He was talking about the various holidays and Christian celebrations that we have, and he, he kind of comes to the end as he's kind of focusing on Easter, and he says this. He says, anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas, but Easter, Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not a believer. Father, I just ask, as we focus on your word and that precious truth, God, that our hearts will be lifted. Father, that anybody hearing this who is not yet, you know, a child of yours, religious maybe, seeking maybe, but they haven't made that decision to give their heart and their life to you for the forgiveness of their sins and for you to be their Lord. Lord, I, I ask that that you would just work within them and, and open their heart that this might be their day of salvation. And for us believers, Lord, I pray that you will just encourage us with your truth as well today. Thank you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen. Well, death is a unique phenomenon. Uh, depending on where you are in your life and where you're viewing it from tends to shade your perception you know, when, when we're young, you know, death is the farthest thing from our minds. You know, we have our whole lives ahead of us. I remember my senior year in high school, uh, I had a classmate named Pat. Uh, Pat had kind of gotten mixed up with the wrong crowd and the drugs and the drinking. And, and actually one Friday night, he was drag racing some friends of his about a mile from my house. And uh, he went off the road and he hit a telephone pole and he was killed instantly. And suddenly, Pat was dead. Pat was gone. And, and I can still, you know, s feel what it was like on that next Monday when everybody came to school and, and just the shock that, you know, he was gone. You know, he, he wasn't coming back. Matter of fact, a little later on uh, that day, I had driven by the park, and a bunch of his friends were kind of gathered there, and... Um, you know, the, for the next week, those, those friends, they changed their lives. They changed their habits. You know, suddenly they realized they weren't bulletproof anymore. But sadly, that lasted only about two weeks. And about two weeks later, about a mile down from where I live, they were drag racing, you know, because, hey, it, it's not going to happen to them. 
But folks, as we get older, as we have more friends who have passed away and, and family members who die, you know, the reality of death, it begins to set into our life. That whether you're young or old, when death strikes close to us, certain realities are driven home. doesn't matter if you're young or old. There, there's two truths about death. The first one is an, it is inevitable that unless Jesus Christ comes and the rapture occurs, there is inevitably we are all going to die. It could happen through an accident. It might come through a sickness. You know, we may just age out of this and pass away. Whether you're young, middle-aged, senior, death awaits all of us. You know, you might have more years than somebody else, but death is inevitable. The second truth about death is that it is irreversible. It's irreversible. If you have ever lost someone close to you, you know, and if it's happened suddenly, I mean, you can probably attest to that in the days that follow, you know, they're passing away. You keep expecting that person to come walking through the door or the phone to ring and, and to pick it up and for them to be on the, the other line. But over time, as the days pass, the reality begins to set in because t death is irreversible. It is permanent. And we might rebound from all sorts of life situations that come our way. You know, we might make a bad investment, but, you know, we could rebound from it over time. We might get a sickness or a failed marriage. Time gives us a chance to rebound. But death is irreversible. Matter of fact, God put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. He says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Talks about the victory that death always gets, the sting that is always there with, with death. Because it seems that death always wins in the end. It comes to all of us. But Jesus Christ came to forever change that. The disciples, the, the loved ones, they watched Jesus as he was scourged, as he was beaten, as he was led outside the city to be crucified. A spear they saw was, was thrust into his side. Those who loved him, they, they took his body down from the cross. They laid him in the tomb. And if you know the gospel accounts, you know that all of their hopes, all of their joy that they had once had was snatched away by death. Because they were reminded that death always seems to win. But three days later, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, it says in Luke chapter 24, it says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. 
And they returned from the tomb, and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanne and Mary, the mother of James, also other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. I mean, Christ would appear to these women in the, in the garden. He came to the disciples as they were hidden in the room. Two of the disciples, as they were walking along the Emmaus Road, you know, Christ appears to them. Account after account we have over a dozen times that Jesus appeared alive after his death. Scripture tells us over 500 people saw him at one time. And, and, and then if you remember what the Gospel of John says, it says many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In other words, we may not even have all the record of all his appearing to people. But, you know, we have these that, to, to, to give us the demonstration that people saw Jesus Christ alive. And in one moment, the inevitable and the irreversible was changed for all time. What did it mean for our world that Christ was alive? What does it mean for us? What does it mean personally for you? that Jesus defeated death and defeated sin. Well, folks, the very first Christians, they staked everything they had on the resurrection. Matter of fact, they said in 1 Corinthians 15, they said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Aside from the resurrection, none of this means anything. I mean, this is just a, a self-help group. <clears throat> if, you, if you eliminate Christ's resurrection, you see, the resurrection is not a belief that, that grew up within the church. The resurrection is a belief around which Christ and the church itself grew up. You know, it, it's the very basis of our faith. Now, there are two, often two reactions when you talk about Christ's resurrection. Uh, the first reaction is, is kind of a negative one. You know, you might talk to an atheist, someone who claims to be an atheist, an unbeliever, and, and, and they just discount it. You know, some have accused the early Christians of forming a conspiracy, you know, and claiming that Christ was alive when, in fact, you know, he wasn't alive, that somehow jumpstart a new religion because the disciples, they profited so much, you know, in the early church, you know, on, on Christianity. Um, but, but, but think about that for just a second here. Who were the very first skeptics? Who were the very first people that had trouble believing that Jesus was alive, believing he was resurrected? It was the disciples, wasn't it? It was the people who had been with him who were following him. You know, the, the, the gospel shows the disciples hiding in locked rooms. <coughs> they're terrified. They're, they're living in despair. I mean, these, these people are lacking faith. And they reacted exactly like you and I would if, if suddenly there were claims of someone, you know, was alive who just went to their funeral a few days ago. You know, as a matter of fact, the angel at the tomb, remember the, re the first reaction of the three women, 
It says, And the angel said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And they couldn't even believe it themselves. You go on a little bit farther in Mark chapter 16, verses 9. It says, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. I mean, they were the first skeptics. They were the first one that says, you know, I I don't believe it happened. Later on in verse 14, afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. They were the skeptics. If this was some sort of conspiracy by the early disciples, I mean, that was a pathetic start to it. You know, these disciples, you know, they would have recorded themselves differently from what they did, you know, recording themselves as these unbelieving fools and and living in fear. They would have written about themselves differently if they were trying, you know, to to jumpstart a religion. And and just think about this, culturally. Who were the first women, the first, excuse me, the first witnesses to see Christ alive, I already gave it to you. It was the women, weren't they? You know, there was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and there were other women, a group of women who had come to finish the embalming process of Jesus' body. I mean, they came for a purpose, you know, to, to take care of the, the dead body of Jesus. So the women were the first ones to, to observe that. And Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture, they didn't even accept the testimony of a female witness in courts. So if there's some sort of conspiracy here, the first witnesses wouldn't have been women because in their culture, they didn't even accept the testimony of women. You know, if there was a conspiracy, they would have had somebody like Nicodemus or, or Peter or John. You know, they would have been the first witnesses, you know, that, that Christ was alive. You know, uh, there was a conspiracy theory, though, that did arise, but it arised amongst the unbelieving Jews. You remember they claimed that the disciples stole the body of Jesus? You know, when the, when the soldiers were guarding the tomb, and, you know, suddenly, you know, after, you know, they were frozen in fright, after they were awakened, um, they ran to the Jewish council. And it says in Matthew 28, and they said, they, they said to these soldiers, you are to say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. Now, let's think about that for just a moment here. How could the disciples come while these guards are, are dozing off, you know, deep into the night, and roll this massive stone away? This stone was so big that this group of women that came, you know, they were worrying about who's going to roll the stone away from them. You know, there were at least, you know, five, six of these women, maybe more, and, 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 and they, this stone was so large, they weren't going to be able to roll it away. But... The disciples could quietly roll the stone away without waking them up. And and then even a more obvious question is, if they were asleep, how did they know it was his disciples? 
that had come and, you know, taken the body. You know, when, when Christ died on the cross, remember the, the hoops that the Jewish leaders went to make sure to secure the body of Jesus? It says in Matthew 27, they went to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go and make the tomb secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with a guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now that's important, that they sealed this stone. The Roman seal was put on this stone. And to break the Roman seal would be a capital offense. If this had happened, the perpetrators would have been pursued and they would have been executed. Those who did not believe, they found ways to ignore the strong evidence. As a matter of fact, Christ predicted that. He foretold in Luke 16, 31, but Jesus said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And that was the truth of the Jewish leaders at the time. They would not believe even if someone raises from the dead. The problem was not proof, but the problem was the magnitude of the claim that he is the first fruits guaranteeing our resurrection. So the first reaction, the negative one people have, is to discount the resurrection. But the second reaction and this is for believers. This is to be transformed by it. This should change our lives. I want you to think for just a moment, <coughs> excuse me, what the truth of the resurrection means. And then once that we can grasp what it really means that Jesus is alive, what that means to us, I want us to just allow that to, to, to permeate our lives, our hearts. It, it should change us. So let's talk about what, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, I, I have shared this before, but there are two ways for us to look at life. And, you know, one, we can focus on all the things that are going around us. You know, where there's wars, there's violence, there's pain, there's loss, there's tragedy, death, there's the coronavirus around us. I mean, you know, hard times are going around and, and it doesn't look like it's going to be stopping anytime soon here. From such a viewpoint, if you get your, your eyes, if you get your heart focused on that, suddenly talking about Christ's resurrection, talking about Easter, it kind of seems like a fairy tale here. You know, wishful thinking, something to get us through, you know, the monotony of our days, the pain of life, getting us through death. It seems like such a contradiction in the face of everything that we see going on around us. But if you take a moment and you reverse that, if you take the resurrection, our hope, our guarantee of a believer, if you take that as that is our life, that is our starting point, that is guaranteed. If you see your resurrection as that one incontrovertial fact about how God treats those who are his followers and his children, if you can just grasp that, then whatever this life hands us is the contradiction to the ultimate victory that is already ours because of Jesus Christ, because he was resurrected. Then suddenly all these things around us that are happening, you know, our ups and downs of life, they, they, they pale in the face of the truth 
that I'm going to live an eternity with Jesus Christ. And no matter what life throws at us, in the end, the resurrection is our destiny. You know, early believers knew this. Early believers lived this. Matter of fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, it talks about others were tortured, not accepting their release. Why? So that they may obtain a better resurrection. I mean, you know, the resurrection got them through. The, the resurrection and that hope, whatever was going to be happening to them, the persecution, the humiliation, the loss of their jobs, the loss of their lives, their family members, the resurrection got them through it. And that hope and that truth that that was their life, no matter what was thrown at them, they stood. And this perhaps describes the change in the disciples' perspective as they sat in their locked rooms you know, discussing the incomprehensible events of Easter Sunday. I mean, if you think about it, nothing had changed for them. Rome still occupied Palestine. The religious authorities still had a bounty on their heads. There was death and evil and sin out in the world. But gradually, as the women came to report and they they. They ran to see it themselves, and Christ began to appear to them and over and over and over again. Gradually, the shock of recognition gave way to a long, slow undertow of joy that if God could do that, that if Jesus Christ could defeat grave, the grave, defeat sin, that he could give us victory for eternity, not for this, this blip on the radar that this physical life is, but the hope for all of life for us. Suddenly, that changed, even though none of this changed in their life. All that we know about Jesus, the resurrection, all that we know invites belief. But one thing it does not do, it does not compel us. In other words, God gives us a free will. It invites us to believe. It invites us to step out in faith. But it doesn't compel it to make it that we have no choice and we have to grasp this and we have to believe this. I mean, think of it like this. Um, you know, you guys are out there, if you're listening to this, um, how many of you, you know, have faith that there's a piano in the church here? Well, you say, well, all of us do. Well, I would question that. I don't think you have faith. You have proof. You have been to church. You have seen our piano there. You know, you have proof of it. You don't necessarily have faith. You have proof. But what if you've never been into the church? Or what if you only heard people talk and say, well, they have a piano up there, you know, or, um, you, know, or, or you saw a delivery truck, but you never saw a, a piano physically? You know, there would need to be that level of faith. You know, there's a, enough evidence you know, that churches have it, that people are saying it, but there's that little element, that little wiggle room that is faith because you, you don't know, you don't have proof. Faith requires the possibility of rejection or it's not faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. 
Christ in every way came to invoke faith. He lived his whole life to invite faith, not to compel it. He gave us that free will. He gave us enough demonstration of it for us to be able to step out. And all of his life was lived like that. I mean, think about his birth. You know, Christ didn't come when he, he came down as man. He didn't come in a way to do away with our faith. He could have come a different way to do away with our faith. He could have come into an influential family. You know, it could have been something that was more public. You know, though there were angels in the sky. They were, you know, just pretty much out there to the shepherds, you know, out in Bethlehem, a small town. Matter of fact, Jesus could have come and been born in a century where we could have taken pictures and we could have recorded all the things that he did. But he didn't. He came to a common couple He was born in a small town. The only real witnesses were were shepherds, you know, that came to, to, to see his birth. And that's how he lived his life as well. You know, we wish Christ would have performed miracles in a way so that people would forever cast out any doubt about Jesus. But he didn't. He, he went to Galilee. You know, Jerusalem was the hub, you know, of, of Judaism. You know, Galilee, which he was 80% of his ministry, was done in Galilee. These are small towns, you know. And, and often when he would do his miracles, he would, you know, tell people not to say anything about it. And his resurrection kind of follows that pattern. You know, we would have loved to have Christ appear, you know, differently than he did. I mean, think about it. Who would you want Jesus, who do you think he should have appeared to? Well, how about the Jewish council? Wouldn't that have been beautiful? I mean, as they arrested him, you know, they mocked him. And wouldn't you just have loved for him to walk into Caiaphas, the high priest, or Pontius Pilate? Wouldn't that have been a great one? Or, 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 or some great, you know, writer you know, a non-believing writer that could have written about it. But God doesn't work like that. God has always chosen the slow and difficult way, respecting human freedom and inviting faith, inviting trust on our part in him and what he has done. And those first witnesses of Christ's resurrection, let's be honest here, they did not have faith. You know, they didn't have faith that Christ was alive. They had proof that Christ was alive. Matter of fact, Christ would say to the disciple Thomas, you know, the one who refused to believe unless he was given some undeniable proof, in John chapter 20, it says, he said to Thomas, reach here with your fingers and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Catch these words. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Who is Jesus talking about? He was talking about you and I. You and I are the ones who, we didn't get the proof, but we were given enough to give us the faith to step out on. God has given us enough to invite faith, not to demand it or compel it. And so with that, we think about our future. You know, when Scripture talks about an afterlife, 
When Scripture talks about that Jesus Christ is the first fruit, you know, guaranteeing what is to come for believers, when it talks about it and gives those promises, when it talks about heaven and hell, <coughs> excuse me, when we read verses and promises that Jesus said in John chapter 14, said, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. I mean, think about that, that, that tremendous verse. He just invites faith, you know, for us to, to trust him. And, and, and he gives us enough. He gives us all the other prophecies that have been fulfilled in God's word in the Old Testament, many in the New Testament. You know, I, I'm told there's some 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah's birth, Jesus Christ, that were fulfilled. You know, these things have come true. We can hold truth. He gives us enough that if those things came true that God's word has said, we can have the faith. We can take that step of faith, that that promise that he goes there to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we can be also. That I can in faith step out that that is going to come true as well. God calls us to be people of faith. First, you need faith to become a child of God. I mean, just let me reiterate it. And I say this so often. You know, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is about a relationship. It's God's attempt to reach us through his son, Jesus Christ. We need that relationship. We need to become a child of his we need to go to the cross. We need to, in faith, to trust that the life he lived, how he demonstrated all of his teaching, that this is truly the Son of God. If not him, who? And he went to the cross and he gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. And it's not enough for you just to be religious. You have to abandon those efforts. And you have to have that one time coming for God and proclaiming yourself that I am a sinner that you see yourself as God sees you, separated from him. It doesn't matter if you've lived a better life than the, your neighbor or you've lived a better life than me, that none of that is going to matter when you stand before Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to matter is have you had the faith to accept Christ's death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to put your faith in him, that he might be your savior, your redeemer, that he might be the Lord of your life. That's the first step of faith. None of these other, doesn't matter until that step is made. And once you do that, once you do that within your heart, not just in your head, I understand it, I know that, but you accept that in your heart. God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and when we call out, we become God's children. And we are then called to live by faith. To not live by sight. Faith that my stand in Christ, it really does make a difference. Regardless of the world's reaction to my faith and, and to my teaching of God's word. Faith that my service, my sacrifice, is part of a, a bigger picture of, of Christ's kingdom. And, and it's all part that God is using believers all over to build his kingdom. You know, faith... You know, that, 
that even though I can't see, you know, and I don't understand everything about God's kingdom, that God has given me enough in his word, in his truth. I don't have to see the results immediately. In faith, I know Christ sees, and Christ uses everything that we give to him. Faith is what will help me stand. Faith gives me the perseverance when things get tough in our life. Faith allows me to continue even when I may not totally understand what is going on. My faith, and only my faith, Hebrew says, is what pleases God. So my challenge to you today is, as, as we talk about things that are inconceivable, that, that, that Christ came back from the dead, and what he did in that moment can be passed on to us. That I can have victory over the grave. I can have victory over sin. That I can have an eternity in heaven. How is your faith in that? How is your faith? Are you living in that resurrection faith today? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Oh my God, such words of hope. I need them today. Thank you for that. I need this reminder that, Lord, what we are living today, you know, regardless of the, the virus or even other things that are going on in our lives, Father, if I know you, these are, you know, these are just a vapor in the face of eternity. Eternity is forever. And that is my hope. And in that, I step out in faith. Thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much to give your life on the cross for my sins and to let your victory of the resurrection becomes my victory. Thank you. In my son's name we pray.